I've got a very exciting announcement for you. That is the Healing Power of Energy Retreat held at Cuixmala in Mexico is on for January 30th through February 6th, 2021. It's a seven-night transformative retreat fusing ancient healing wisdom with advanced modern technology. It'll be led by Dr. Rashid Buttar, Dr. Jerry Rivera DiGenio, and Robert Slovak. And I'll be there live streaming, recording, covering the whole thing. I look forward to you joining me. If you want to get more information, get your tickets, go to lukestory.com slash events. That's lukestory.com slash events for the healing power of energy treat at Quixmala in Mexico. Go for it and embrace technology, embrace something that our caveman ancestors wouldn't have done. And I think that, that many of us would be healthier and better off because of that. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Time to talk about mushrooms from our friends over at lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. These guys are an evolutionary mushroom biotechnology company based out of Byron Bay, Australia. And let me tell you what, man, these guys are a game changer in the world of mushroom extracts. None of that cheap, toxic stuff from China. These guys are doing it right, making the mushrooms themselves. Or I guess God makes the mushrooms, technically. They just spore them, grow them, whatever they do. They create these mushroom extracts, and they are absolutely fantastic. They're like biohacker grade. In fact, they have a biohacker set that's got these uh, this beautiful box with these bottles in it. It's got lion's mane, cordyceps, turkey tail, reishi, shiitake, all the master mushrooms. And they even started making a chaga extract recently, which is very cool and also delicious. So I'm a huge fan of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, There is so much research on these things, man. You know, shiitake is not only delicious to eat, but it also supports your immune system and skin and hair growth. Cordyceps, of course, is amazing for energy due to its increased oxygen uptake abilities, supports your endurance, get shredded, work out. It's also good for sex, they say. Uh, Reishi is really good for relaxation, chilling out, calms the nervous system. I swear I could drink like half a bottle of the life cycle Reishi before meditation. Now it has too much alcohol in it. <laughs> I'd probably get hammered. It's like half a shot or something. I'm, I'm not trying to do that, but I just love the feeling of Reishi in my body. And I also love their lion's mane which is renowned for providing support to the brain and nervous system. Lion's mane is the one that uh, some people uh, I've heard mix with other types of mushrooms in a microdosing stack kind of situation. It's also great for REM sleep. There's a lot of studies on that. And then, of course, turkey tail, one of the best documented mushrooms in scientific research, has a wide spectrum of beneficial properties and shows much promise in supporting the immune system, which is, of course, on many people's minds right now. So to check out these fantastic medicinal mushroom products, here's what you do. Go to lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. Use the code STORY15 and save 15% off at lifecycle.com.
If you listen to this show, you know that I always say nature is the ultimate biohack, right? So I've been doing a simple and natural therapy in my house every morning and sometimes in the evening for the past three years. And it has worked wonders for me. I've seen a huge boost in my testosterone levels. I have way less inflammation and my skin complexion has never been clearer. What's the secret? Well, every morning I spend about 10 to 15 minutes in front of my Juve red light therapy system. That's J-O-O-V-V. Natural light is crucial for your cellular health. And most of us don't get nearly enough light for optimal health. But with my Juve, I get a full day's worth of healthy natural light in just a few minutes right in my own home. Problem solved. I mean, I live in LA, it's sunny, but honestly, some days I don't get out there and do as much as I'd like to. So the natural light from a juve supercharges the mitochondria in your cell so your body can make more energy. There's all kinds of health benefits backed up by thousands of peer-reviewed clinical studies for those of you that like that. For the simple version of it, you can just go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you're going to get a special bonus from the team at Juve, and you can dive into the research as to the efficiency and legitimacy of this therapy. That's juve.com forward slash loop. Check it out. Right about now would be a great time to reach over your back, pat yourself on the shoulder, and congratulate yourself for stumbling upon episode 307 of the Lifestylist podcast. The Path of Faith, Finding Meaning with Meditation, Prayer, and Plant Medicines, featuring Ben Greenfield, a third-time guest on the show. Now, you might know Ben for his fitness and biohacking expertise. He's widely known for that, but what he might be lesser known for is his spiritual relationship with life and his faith, and that's what we talk about on today's episode. So he came by the house here in Laurel Canyon And rather than doing our usual biohacking extravaganza, we really got into psychology, mental health, emotional health, spirituality, faith, Christianity, plant medicines, the principles he lives by and teaches his kids, what keeps his family together. We talked about the inner game, which in my estimation is even more important than physical health. Because let's face it, if you're not emotionally healthy, and happy and full of gratitude and have a means by which to overcome many of life's challenges, all the biohacking in the world ain't going to save you. And take it from me because I've tried. It's all about the meditation and the inner performance that allows the outer health and performance to happen. So for those of you that don't know Ben, he's a human performance consultant, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of 13 books including the wildly popular titles Beyond Training and Boundless. And for those of you watching the video, you'll see the copy of Boundless here on the table. And it's actually a boundless book. This thing is freaking huge. It's about anything you can ever want to know about health and breath work and all kinds of stuff. And it really is like the Bible of health. I don't think I'll ever do a book like that personally because you can't beat that. He did it. He covered everything. It's all there. So Ben's a great guy and uh, just a funny cat, man. We had, a, we had a great time in this conversation and he was really excited to talk about these topics. And I've observed him over the past couple of years where we've both spoken at events like paleo effects, et cetera. And I noticed he started to make a transition into talking more about uh, these type of topics. And I haven't heard him really dedicate an episode to it as a guest. So I pitched him on the idea and he really loved it. So uh, you're about to listen to the results of that pitch. 
he's also going to release uh, this conversation on his podcast, which is fantastic. You know, I'll just give a plug to that. If there's ever a single topic, like a you know, a niche sort of obscure health practice or a fitness practice or something that I want to look into, I'll often scan Ben's podcast feed to see if he's done an episode about it because he'll do just very specific deep dives on things. And I've learned so much listening to his show. So I want to encourage you to get over there and check out what he's doing too. I think he's, the other day he posted something, he's getting like a million plus downloads a month or something. He's been at it, I don't know, 11 years or whatnot, but uh, it's definitely paid off. He's got a huge show and a lot of great information there. But in this one, as I said, we're talking about matters of the heart and matters of consciousness, and I'm really pleased to do so. Before we start this episode for something entirely different, I'm going to invite you to join me next week for episode 308, Ending Infant Trauma, Dangers of Hospital Birth, Ultrasound, Circumcision, and the Holistic Path with Janice Barcelo. That is a wild ass episode. And dare I say, probably the most important episode I've ever done on this show. And I've done some pretty meaningful shows. So definitely tune in to that episode next week. And with that, my friends, let's go ahead and just have some fun with Ben Greenfield here. Enjoy the show and don't forget to share it with a friend. We're here again with Ben Greenfield, uh, folks listening and watching. Uh, last time Ben was here, we had every intention of sitting down and having a proper conversation, mm. but then we ended up hanging out in the house and going through the supplement cabinet and the Wandering biohacking. from, from you know, room the, to room of your, of your palatial <laughs> estate. <laughs> and it, it ended up being like a two-hour tour. We probably could have gone longer. And then Ben's like, dude, I, I can't record. I got to go. You know? so, so that became the podcast. But my original intention was to really sit and talk about some of the deeper life experiences with you and both I kind like of, that. You know, I like share that idea. our perspectives. And for the video version of this, it's almost like that funny or die show between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> because I don't think this is a fern. No, it's not. That we're sitting we're not sitting between it. We're sitting on either side of it. Uh but yeah, we've got a a plant and a really shitty book. Uh a giant book called Boundless and this, this is the first book that's dwarfed the plant. Usually there's a nice little symmetry here, uh, but all we're missing is a present or a celebrity who we can roast and ask stupid questions to, and we'd, we'd totally be on Funny or Die. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Probably closer to Die. Well, we might be able to match that um, content wise. <laughs> Are you all right, dear? Thank you for your adjustment. We're we're on a three camera shoot here sometimes, and getting all three to actually look perfect is a science in and of itself. So before we start, uh, what's new and exciting? You're in LA, you're visiting. What what's the latest in your life? New and exciting is all different these days. New and exciting is uh, being parked in front of my computer, working on new book ideas. I just finished a cookbook as a companion to Boundless, where despite me having imposter syndrome, meaning I never grew up as a as a chef and always feel like I'm really cowboying in the kitchen, um, I just want to take all these these recipes from camel's milk kefir with gelatin in it for a bedtime 
stack to, you know, my little coffee rubs and reverse sear process I do on steaks to the little sprouts that I grow and how I you know, dehydrate them and salt them for a snack. And, you know, all the, all, you know, almost like a blend between really novice molecular gastronomy and kind of a whole foods approach to diet uh, with a few little, uh, you know, supplements and, you know, mushrooms and things like that thrown in to, uh, to, to add in even more better living through science. And so I put the finishing touches on the cookbook a few weeks ago, and now we're working on beautiful photos and everything for that. And now I'm working on a book more focused on spiritual fitness and uh, caring for our soul. And aside from that, just a lot of time spent with, with my little boys out in the forest, they're unschooling. And for me to be able to be home more present with them and helping on that front has been magical, not being on airplanes or in airports until coming down here to LA. And then last week to San Jose has been absolutely wonderful. I'm probably fitter than I've ever been. I'm healthier than I've ever been. And a big part of that is, is due to not having to engage in the so-called dark side of hypermobility. And, um, yeah, I, I feel good. How about you? It's fun. Well, it's funny, dude. Um, I, before I answer that, looking at your Instagram, which I do, uh, periodically, I would never guess that you're not naturally um, a chef. Because <laughs> I'm not a no. f- I'm not a foodie myself. It's more of a utilitarian kind of like, man, I got to get it done. Got to get something in there. But when I do actually sit down to a great meal at Belcampo or something, I'm like, oh my God, I should do this more often. I went to Belcampo <laughs> last night and had a greasy burger on the sidewalk at 3rd Ave with some, <laughs> right. of the, with some of the tallow fries. Big smile on my face. Grease yeah. and ketchup and their secret sauce dripping down my chin. Yeah. And I was in heaven. I, I literally was just listening to music at the end of a really long day of podcasting and traveling and Ubers, just sitting there stuffing a burger into my face, watching the cars go by. And it was <laughs> fantastic. You're right. They, they do good meat. And I, um, I, uh, I get what you're saying about the, about the cooking and the food prep piece. I'm spoiled because Jessa, my wife is, mm-hmm. you know, a full on make everything from scratch, not just food, but furniture and campers and anything around the house. She just makes. And I have been very self-conscious cooking around her and trying to make recipes around her. And, uh, you know, even when I first met her and for the first few years of our marriage, you know, I was still sweeped in, in steeped in a, in whey pro. Well, typically for me, it was whey protein shakes, a lot of whey protein shakes, a lot of uh, microwaving. Like I would microwave <laughs> hot dogs, serious? microwave oatmeal, oh, microwave pop tarts, you know, full meal deal. But you know, very kind of old school fitness approach yeah. to cooking. Definitely an IIFYM. If it fits your macros, you know, eat it. Uh, not too selective on food sourcing, on food quality, anything like that. And she didn't really come at things from that angle just because she was so used to gardening and having fresh meat around to prepare and had a whole different perspective. But then she, because she had some pretty concerning skin issues, both acne and eczema, brought home this little tattered, you know, coiled PDF printout book from the University of Idaho library home one night. And it was called The Dietary Cure for Acne by Lauren Cordain. This would have been probably, oh, 14 years ago. And she read it. She implemented a lot of the um, insulin controlling, uh, plant defense mechanism inhibiting type of aspects of that early version of a paleo diet. You know, long before uh, folks like Rob Wolf, for example, came onto the scene and heavily popularized it. And I watched her skin issues clear up literally overnight. 
I read the book myself, and that was my first foray into beginning to understand a more ancestral approach to nutrition. But I still was microwaving hot dogs after that. <laughs> well, because, I mean, you know, they're, they're hot dogs. They're, you know, <laughs> they're kind paleo of paleo. would have stuck them in a microwave <clears throat> if he had it. Uh, it he probably funny. had to put them out on a, on a cave in the hot sun. Um, and so, so, yeah, I've come a long way, baby since those days, but that was, that was kind of my initial exposure to, yeah. to a more ancestral approach to food preparation. Well, it's one thing, you know, preparing food that is good for you. And another thing entirely cooking food that is good for you and tastes like food that you would get at a restaurant mm-hmm. that is not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do you make healthy food actually, you know, oh, there's, that there's a one word answer to that. Salt, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really good salt. Right. I, I in my in my fanny pack, I'm always wandering around with. I always have some form of really good salt in a Ziploc bag. Sometimes I also, if I've remembered and thought ahead when I travel, have a, a little four ounce travel container of a really good extra virgin olive oil. And even if I wander in, you know, like I'm, I'm eating at some bistro tonight with a bunch of guys, and I think they've got like you know wraps and kale salad, you know, it's just kind of the usual bistro fare. I yeah. guarantee olive oil and sea salt will be coming out of my bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise. Um, so yeah, so that's a lot of new and exciting stuff, uh, books and all I like after doing the book boundless, which those of you watching on video, you'll see the book I'm referring to. I mean, it's literally like the Bible of all things, health, biohacking, better living through science and nature. Um, after writing that book, I would have like taken a 10 year hiatus of trying to write anything. You uh, always think that you have you, have you written a book well, yet or have, have, pro- you, have you noodled on that? Yeah, I'm you in are. the process of it. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to give away the title of the book because for some reason it just feels like I shouldn't, but, um, plus, sen- plus it can get stolen until you actually yeah, copyright it. And this is true. It. This yeah. is true. So I, you know, I'm holding that one, uh, close mm-hmm. to the chest, but, uh, essentially, you know, Ben, it's been, oh God, now 24 years that I've been on this journey of spirituality and what we now call biohacking, which used to be just called being a health nut mm-hmm. or into anti-aging yeah, and stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, along the way I have picked up a lot, but I think because I'm always learning from other people and especially having this podcast, sometimes I sort of discount the progress that I've made because when I started making content, as, as you know, I was coming out of the fashion industry where all of the things I was doing in meditation and yoga and um, health and healing were all just kind of part of my private life. So I just consider myself a perpetual student and had neglected the fact that I'd actually learned a lot along the way. Having now been on a lot of other people's podcasts and uh, spoken on a lot of stages over the past four years, I've realized, wow, shit, I actually know a few things myself. And so um, figuring out what the first book would be was a bit of a challenge because I think a lot of what makes my perspective compelling is that I have a really crazy past and the arc of the hero's journey is pretty insane from where I came to starting in childhood into 20s and Mm -hmm. just living through mostly self-inflicted hell and surviving to tell the tale, not only surviving, but now thriving and, you know, carrying that to so many people. So the initial thought was, well... I guess it should be a memoir, this tale of triumph over one's difficulties and follies. And um, that felt just too self-indulgent. And frankly, I didn't think I'm famous enough to like mm-hmm. pull off a memoir. Like, okay, this dude writes a memoir. Yeah, everyone's had a rough life. Who cares? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that, a river. Yeah. And that just, it just feels too like, I don't know, self-important or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I struggled with that a little bit, but also just having a book that omits the story and is just like, here's lessons of life. Well, whose life and why? So um, 
so far the book is shaping up to be um, kind of part memoir and part, mm-hmm. you know, some tales, but also yeah. teachings along the way. So, you know, I, I childhood trauma. Smart. Yeah, the, the storytelling <clears throat> is smart. Yeah. And and I tried to do that with Boundless. I, I lead in every chapter, if, if uh, the astute reader might note, with a personal anecdote, a personal story that is related to the topic of that chapter, whether it be a bout I had with MRSA or Giardia for the immune chapter, or uh, you know, hefty periods of stress that I went through that I eventually tackled with with breathwork practices in the stress chapter, etc. But but the storytelling is important. I even tell my kids this when they're working on a book report, you know, at home. Every week, I let them select a book or I help them select a book that they write a book report on with the general overview of that being that I figure if they have the mentality growing up that they can easily go through and assimilate one book a week, that's going to really train those muscles for them going into life, just being able to digest information at a reasonable pace and then be able to teach others that information. Yeah, And I always tell them to weave their own personal anecdotes and stories into each book report because people don't want to read facts. What people resonate and connect with are stories. But I'll tell you, as you work on your book, probably the most difficult aspects, at least for me, of writing that you you may find is, A, it's hard to write an entire book while keeping everything that you're writing held, You know, as you noted earlier, including the title, close to your chest. (laughs) That is very difficult for me, which is why often when I am writing a book, I will take pieces and snippets and put them out as tweets or blog posts. It's something that's just too good to wait for two years until it hits the bookshelves. I got to get this information out to the world now, giving yourself permission to do that. You know, rather than thinking, oh, if, if it's been out there and then the book gets published and it's already been out there, people aren't going to like the book. But taking some of the really important stuff and just giving yourself permission along the way as you write to put something out as a blog post or an early draft of a chapter out as you know a, a few paragraphs on Instagram, et cetera, I find that kind of fuels my fire giving people an insider sneak peek of the book as I'm writing it. Yeah. And, and so that's yeah. one thing that I found to be helpful. Yeah. And then another is, there's probably two other things. One is um, the organization component, meaning that as you gather data, as you research, as you find articles, books, interviews, podcasts, etc., that are related to a chapter that you're working on or a chapter that that you're creating a skeleton for because every every chapter you must skeleton before you you don't just sit down and write a chapter start to finish right you're always bouncing around typically laying out the framework laying out the foundation for that chapter but figuring out a way to assimilate all the data all the research can be very daunting and so uh, many authors will use a platform called scrivener for that And while that software is very useful for being able to organize what you're writing, the problem is it's not designed for uh, cloud-based interaction around anything that you're writing. If you have a scientific editor, if you have a research assistant, if you have a publishing editor, etc., then they can't be seeing and editing chapters as you go. You can't just share a chapter in the cloud. So what I do when I write now is I start a, a separate Google Drive folder for each book and every that that Google Drive folder has a folder for each chapter and that folder for each chapter has all the links to research all the links to interviews the chapter itself any revisions of the chapter as as they're ongoing so that previous versions of the chapter don't disappear and get deleted forever and so i found uh, i found google 
as, with as much heat as they're getting today right now from the alternative health community <laughs> well based deserved. on selective <laughs> well censorship. Uh, yeah. I, I, I haven't found a more convenient solution than that yet. So organization and specifically cloud-based organization for yeah. collaboration and writing, I've found that to be very important. And then finally, um, the last is that at some point, especially when you're writing a book about science or a book that might incorporate a lot of advances in, say, biohacking technologies or new research on things that might uh, assist with supporting healthy immune system or you know new compounds that have been discovered that might heal the gut, you get to a point where you simply have to say stop. You get to a point where, you know, even for your for your editors and your publisher's sanity, if you're going through a traditional publisher, which is not necessary these days, but can be convenient uh, for, for bookshelf space, you have to get to a point where you just say, okay, that's good enough. This needs to go in the sequel or this is going to get, you know, added to the, the ebook or the Kindle version, which is far easier to edit, or this is going to go in the special bonus chapter of the website. But that's the tricky part too, is just freaking stopping and saying, okay, I'm done now hit publish and send. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And I'm seeing that um, come to fruition now as I'm pulling together all these different elements. You know, there is sort of a, a narrative of a story that's coming together. And then there's punctuation points throughout the story where huge insights or lessons have been learned. But it's almost as if each chapter could be its own book. You know, as I start yep. to really dive in there, I'm like, oh shit, I'm 49 years old, man. So it's like, yeah, you know, even if I just went from the past twenty four years since my awakening and thing, you know, when things really changed and I had this pivotal spiritual experience that just transformed everything. It was like I was born again at twenty six years old. Even from twenty six to forty nine is a lot. So mm-hmm. it's it's. I think what I'm doing now is it, it's fun because I'm really I'm in this sort of um, archaeological dig where I'm just pulling everything now and just putting it where it needs to go. And then I think that what's going to happen is there's just going to be a lot of fat trimmed as you, I, as you I will go. Definitely find that. And it will feel like kissing your babies goodbye. The <laughs> totally. way that I kept myself sane was I actually retained a full and complete version of each chapter in boundless with everything that the editor cut. Right. And I simply made a, a special hidden resources website. You know, you, you go there and you type in your receipt number, your Amazon number or whatever, and then Smart. it unlocks all, you know, yeah. there's over 600 pages that I, that I, cut from the book that still live on or you know could be turned into additional books etc but you know I, I i don't know if you fancy yourself as this but i think i do um we are storytellers there's probably a reason that we are drawn to podcasting that i'm drawn to books and that, that you're now in the process of writing a book we perhaps would have been in ancestral times the people who who passed on either wisdom or stories or advice to future generations um i don't feel as though i would have been a gladiator or a warrior or up at night protecting the camp i know i wouldn't have been doing that because i love <laughs> to sleep um but you know sitting around the campfire sharing stories and finding out cool things and passing on wisdom you know i think that being a storyteller is a fun thing to do and i I just feel incredibly blessed to be able to do that whether via podcasting or writing or um producing books or or whatever the case may be um you know I, i think this ability to be able to pass on wisdom to future generations and to current generations if you want to call what i do wisdom you might just call it random random piecings of, of crazy biohacking knowledge. Uh, but I, um, 
I think it's I think it's a really cool thing to do, and I I don't know about you, but I I feel blessed just to be able to be in a position where I can, you know, in a very uh, amateurish way of phrasing it, find out cool shit and tell people about it. You know, absolutely. I'm shocked um, continually at the fact that this is actually my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I yeah. parlayed my passion into oh, a career. Oh, me, me too. You know, and, I mean, it, when I when I uh, when I tell my boys, you know, dad's going for a three hour hike. I have an audio book I need to listen to because I need to interview this person on my podcast in two days. He's a really smart doctor who would probably not give me the time of day at all. Otherwise, if I didn't have a podcast for him to come on to and talk about. So my job is to go hike, learn, come back and talk to a really cool person and then press publish and tell the world about it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a fun job. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And to be able to continue to work on oneself and you know, discover what works, what doesn't, and then share it with people. And then I realize like not everyone is like us where they want to research and try everything. That's what mm-hmm. I'm discovering. The feedback I get from people that follow the stuff that I'm doing is like, thank God you're people like you are doing all this. Cause I just want the results. I just want to know what the net, right. you know, the net value is and like what I can skip and just get to the point. And I, and I understand that I'm just not that way. I, I want to try everything and really dive into how everything works. And I think it's just part of that innate curiosity. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a consequence of being supremely curious. And I think you're right. Some people want the convenience of getting all the best information that's already been filtered right now. I like to dig into, you know, a hundred research studies on carnosine and whether, you know, transdermal versus <laughs> oral administration is best and, right. you know, which different supplements have the best versions and what form of exercise at what intensity for what duration is it actually going to help you, you know, reduce the burn or whatever the case may be. And then say, okay, here's, here's what I've found. And, um, you know, I think the world needs people like that. And the world needs people who are out doing other things like say, you know, whatever, protecting our country's borders or, you know, making food or, you know, or, or being, a, a you know, in, in any other position in society and they can simply take what we produce and have access to, to the good stuff in a shorter period of time. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I want to talk about, um, the, well, you know, you kind of alluded to it in that you're writing a book about spirituality. And I think for people like you and and me, uh, to some degree, people get caught up in kind of the low-hanging fruit of, if I just get healthy enough, fit enough, have good enough sleep, lose that weight, find the newest biohack, the newest supplement, the newest gadget, then I'll feel this sense of completion and wholeness. You know, and It's like I go to these health conferences sometimes and I look at the crowd and I think, what's the, what's the why here? Mm -hmm. You know, is the why like, so you're fit, then what? So you optimize your brain function, then what? There's then what, then what? Mm -hmm. What's the end goal? And ultimately Mm -hmm. the end goal is, I think for most people, a feeling of purpose and a feeling of... Or so you're 160 now. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Yeah. So you're 160 you, you made it. and you're you still a miserable You made it longer prick. than other people. You, you hacked that. Then what? So, right? And, and um, the way that C.S. Lewis described this was a God-shaped hole, an abyss deep down inside each of us that no matter how many fancy cars and how many bank accounts and how many houses and, and how many attractive partners and how many, you know, noble and laudable things like children or good relationships that we pour into that hole. 
it will never be full and it will never feel fulfilling because it's a God-shaped hole. And deep down inside of every one of us, there is a yearning for something bigger that goes beyond us. And I think that that is a relationship with a creator God. Uh, Augustine wrote about this. He, he also described it you know, as, as something like a hole, something like an abyss. So he, he actually called it a never-ending yearning right? That would not go away until the day that you die. And if you recognize that, and, and it, uh, Blaise Pascal, a long time ago in the 1600s, he wrote a book called, called Pensies. It's actually a collection of, of writings that are largely, a, they're kind of a defense of the Christian doctrines, but he has, he has a lot of wise sayings in there. And uh, you know, I, I don't have the quote memorized, but you could find it if you were to Google you know, Blaise Pascal Pensies, P-E-N-S-E-E-S, um, uh, God-shaped hole. You'd, you'd probably find something like that. And uh, he he noted the same thing. People are searching. People are striving. People get to the end of their lives and still feel as though they never reached that peak of fulfillment, never filled that hole. And uh, the people who actually do, the people who actually find that vibratory frequency, you know, that David Hawkins would refer to as, as peace or even enlightenment, are the people who have discovered that that hole can be filled by a deep spiritual connectedness to God and a practice of the spiritual disciplines just as much as the physical disciplines or the mental disciplines, caring for one's soul just as much as one would care for one's bank account or fitness. And really, I think that 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 is the key, that it is a God-shaped hole that will never be filled until you figure out a path to God to fill it. Yeah, well said. Uh, I know in my own experience, it's been, <clears throat> you know, early in life due to childhood experiences that were traumatic and painful that caused a further separation from that relationship with God. Um, even though I wasn't conscious of it, I think that all babies are born connected. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we have experiences. I mean, even circumcision and traumas that happen at birth. Um, I was put in an incubator. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, that, birth, birth is fun. You, you get <laughs> slapped in the face, part of your penis yeah. cut off, and uh, then the, your, your, your lifeblood cord tied off and tied in a knot. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then a, a tit shoved in your face. Yeah. If one, of the, one of those things is okay. If you're, if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was thrown in an incubator for uh, the first week of my life and wow. cut off from all human contact, wow. you know, which seems like, oh, poor me. Wah. But looking back at different patterns that have manifested in my life, there was a, a real disconnection there. And then, you know, things that happened that shouldn't happen to kids happened. And, uh, you know, my refuge from that was seeking some kind of connection. And I was able to find a facsimile of a connection to myself through drug abuse mm -hmm. and started that when I was really young. And people like me in recovery that have made it out the other side of that know, or at least at some point we'll learn that we were trying to fill that God-shaped hole with that feeling of being satiated or, um, you know, soothed, self-soothed by changing our chemistry, mm -hmm. you know, and then you, at least I, I won't project on any other former addicts and alcoholics listening, but, um, you know, you, if you're so lucky, you don't end up in prison or a cemetery, um, you realize, oh shit, what was missing was this relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of 
missteps typically in trying to fulfill that with the the partner, the supplement, the job, right, the money. Right. When when in fact losing the weight, gaining the weight, you know, all of yeah. the things that are you're still like you might not be doing something so self-destructive in that escapist way, but mm-hmm. you're still looking for something that seems to right. be elusive. And it's that connection to one's true or higher self, which is at one consciousnessly speaking with God. It's like the God within you kind of gets lost in the chase after that feeling of um of existential loneliness or separation. Right. And, and, and I don't mean to vilify nice cars, you know, a great, wonderful family, a lot of money in your bank account, mm-hmm. um, drugs, supplements, gyms, you know, <laughs> gold spandex leotards and bench pressing, you know, what, what, whatever it is that, that you derive joy from different people are wired up in different ways. But like we were discussing in the kitchen before we came in here, and I, I was telling you, I recently had this Dr. John Lawrence on my show, and he sent me up some of his Zen spray, this nicotine-based hoppy extract from the Amazon. I, I just took a couple sprays up my nose. It kind of clears the head after you do your, after you blow out all the snot it induces. And um, it it can be addictive, as we were discussing. You know, nicotine can be addictive. Ayahuasca retreats can become a an, an escape rather than a than a connection to yourself or to God. Um, you know, cars can become something that you define yourself uh, as being attached to uh, rather than than a than a passing pleasure in life. And it, even when we were in the kitchen, I mentioned this. You know, as Anthony DeMello says in his book Awareness. We should be able to look at, at all of these things, all of these things that surround us in creation, whether things that, that humans made in God's image have created or whether God has created, right? Whether a, a, a plant extract of psilocybin or, or LSD produced in a laboratory, whether a, a fancy Ferrari or a, or a big oak tree providing shade in the backyard. We should be able to, to look at each of these things and recognize them as pleasures, things, things that cause this dopaminergic response. It's built into us. That's a fantastic response, right? And, and you and I were talking briefly about this. We, we call it addiction in many cases when, when we like to do something repeatedly over and over again. But honestly, human beings from a biochemical standpoint were created to take a great deal of pleasure in many things that we come back to over and over again for another hit of pleasure, right? Coffee, exercise, nicotine, sex, you name it. And that doesn't mean that the thing that produces dopamine is bad. That doesn't mean coming back to it repeatedly is an addiction or at least should not be vilified if it is an addiction. But you should be able to take anything in your life that you're throwing into that God-shaped hole and say, you are, you know, again, as Anthony DeMello would say, you are something I derive pleasure from, but I am not attached to you. I do not depend upon you for my happiness. If you can't say that to all of these fancy tools and toys and gadgets and supplements and drugs and medicines that surround you or any of them, or there's a certain one that you can't say that to without cringing or feeling a little pit in your stomach, then that is a sign that you do have an unhealthy attachment, that you do have potential for an addiction to something. 
And, you know, I, I just like to paint it in the, in the, I'm, I'm going camping now with my backpack scenario. You know, you should be able to just go off and camp for three to five days without any of these things in sight, extract yourself from them and not feel as though you're supremely unhappy because they no longer exist in your life temporarily. And you would be surprised. We were talking about this with nicotine, how sometimes it's not the fact that you're severely addicted to a substance as much as the fact that because it's constantly around around you, it's a cue to partake in it. And I've found that if I'd simply remove myself from yeah. from an environment where I might have access to something, you know, like food or a kettlebell or caffeine or whatnot, and it's no longer around, it's not that hard to become detached from it. Yeah. You know, well it's there, funny you frame it like that because I think, you know, my view of all human pathology is really a deviation from nature and natural human ways, right? So mm-hmm. the hunter-gatherer connectivity and intimacy and human support and love and affection, physical touch, all of those things uh, combined with the loss of our connection to the land. I think that's at the root of all pathology, both emotional, spiritual, and physical. And so a good experiment would be to actually go immerse yourself in nature with no props, Mm -hmm. you know, alone, I guess would be, you know, the real warrior's way to do it. But with a couple loved ones, you know, like you have, family, kids and whatnot, to go out there and really experience what it's like to be in true wholeness and completion in the way that we were designed. You know, it's, yeah, it, it, it seems like as we've deviated further from that, then all of these props become necessary. Like you wouldn't, and I always say to people when they write, because people write in there like, you know, people that have this scarcity mindset often that are like, well, I can't be healthy because I can't afford the biocharger or the, mm-hmm. you know, the infrared sauna or whatever. And, you know, the first thing I say is like, yes, you can. Like if my ass can figure this out, like I didn't even graduate high school and I'm doing it. So it's just a mentality thing more than anything. But more than that, I always say, you really don't need any of that shit if you have the discipline to align yourself with nature, sun gaze at dawn, mm-hmm. sun gaze at, um, at dusk, get in some cold water, get hot, move your body a bit, do some breath work, meditate. Most of the things that really move the needle are free, but people don't want to do those because they want the quick fix. Yeah. It takes more discipline to do that than like pop some modafinil and yeah, you know, drink all the other things. I would never freaking want to be a caveman. No, I mean, no, 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 what I want to live, live in a tent. I, like, if I had to choose, I, I would not want those things because our our modern life is pretty freaking magical. We live like kings, and yeah. then it, sometimes we find in our whole, especially you know, if you, if you're if you're steeped in the in the paleo, the ancestral community, oh, ancestral man or woman, woman wouldn't have done this. They wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have gotten on an airplane. You know, they would have traveled by covered wagon across the US and half the family would have died as they traveled 3,000 miles to go see grandma. Uh, But I'm not going to get on an airplane because that's unhealthy and subjects me to radiation. Um, Or, or, you know, I I have an entire emperor's worth of library at my fingertips, but I'm not going to access it that much because I don't want to get irradiated by Wi-Fi. You you, you have to draw a line somewhere and accept the fact that a lot of the conveniences of modern life, despite having a few biological downfalls in terms of them being evolutionary mismatches that perhaps our cell membranes and other parts of our body have not yet been able to fully adapt to, present a wide range of blessings and conveniences 
that I think sometimes because we have this nostalgic view of how good ancient life must have been, we neglect to appreciate. <laughs> totally. and, and, you know, I've certainly oh, been, yeah. been guilty of that. Um, you know, on, on, on my own show and, you know, in, and in teachings or, or speaking, you know, saying that, that we need to be as close to, as close to earth as possible and as ancestral as possible. When in fact, I think that you can, to a certain extent, have the best of both worlds, right? You can marry yeah. ancestral living to modern science, make some good educated decisions. Yes. Don't strap a Wi-Fi enabled meditation neurofeedback device to your head and sit there for an hour with, you know, rampant levels of EMF floating around your brain. But, you know, if you got some Bluetooth enabled muse headband or something like that that you're putting on for 10 minutes a day because it's assisting you with with uh, steepening the curve or or, or or lowering the steepness of the curve of your meditation practice or something like that you know go for it embrace technology embrace something that our caveman ancestors wouldn't have done and i think that that many of us would be healthier and better off because of that we'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement I'm going to take just a moment and talk about two fantastic products from Sovereignty.co. One is called Dream and the other is called Purpose. Now, these are therapeutic doses of clinically studied herbs. And when I first got the samples, I thought, therapeutic doses? I'm not even going to feel it. I take all kinds of stuff. And I'll tell you what, son, uh, these things are the real deal. They're made with Chinese and Ayurvedic herbs that are fermented. And something about this fermentation process makes them very strong. So you've got one called Purpose for daytime alertness and focus. It's like a nootropic, right? Good for creative work, sitting down the computer, jamming, working out, being active. It's got seven plant-based ingredients like green tea extract, turmeric, and blueberry. It's also got organic coffee berry and something called CBG, which is an extract from California-grown hemp. So purpose is like this really smooth, clean energy. Doesn't get you too hyped like some nootropics do. Although sometimes I don't mind getting freaked out. But generally speaking, I want to stay focused and calm and purpose does that. Uh, All their products, by the way, even though they have some hemp products, are less than 0.3% THC, just so you know. Their other product is called Dream. And this is fantastic to assist with healthier and better sleep. And it's the first of its kind restorative nighttime supplement. The hemp extract in this formula is fortified with CBN. And they integrate clinically studied ingredients, fermented Chinese and adaptogenic herbs and cannabinoids alongside their custom sleep turpine formula. Their dream formula is engineered to assist with healthier and better sleep. And it's really the first of its kind in terms of a nighttime supplement. The hemp extract is fortified with CBN and they integrate the clinically studied fermented Chinese and adaptogenic herbs with the cannabinoids alongside their custom turbine sleep formula. So this dream product is incredible for greater relaxation, enhanced recovery, and gentle sedation for more productive sleep. I'm a big fan. So again, you want to check out the products called Purpose and Dream, and the website is sovereignty.co slash loop. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y, sovereignty.co slash Luke. There's no discount, 
but they've got a money back guarantee that not only gives your money back, but if you don't like their products, they will buy you your favorite supplement. It's insane. I know, but that's what they do. That's sovereignty.co slash Luke. And now back to the interview. Someone was asking me yesterday if I go, uh, if I do, uh, you know, like backpacking, legit, not like put on a backpack and hike a mile up a hill, but like go out for nine days with your backpack. I'm like, that is the, like, I would rather do anything other than that. You know, it's like, well, where's my chili pad? I mean, Mm -hmm. what if the ground, you know, what if it's too hot or too cold? What if I'm uncomfortable for just a few minutes? So I am absolutely guilty of- Excursions like that do help you appreciate the the chili pad though. It's just, you know, like- Mm -hmm. It, the ground's too hard. Are you kidding me? I value my sleep, but it is about, for me, also a balance, but also acknowledging that the reason that so much of these props and things like that are needed in order to just sustain and evolve in a new way is because the deviation from our natural life way is so far off, but there's yep. also no going back. Yep. And if you become domesticated, like I absolutely have, I'm not going to live in the woods in a cabin with no electricity. It just ain't going to happen. It would be, I don't know. Well, you don't know until you try it, but it would be, um, it would be like the life of the renunciate, you know, the monk who just drops everything. Like spoke of David Hawkins. He did that. Mm -hmm. He left a huge practice in New York city um, as a psychiatrist of 50 years and just abandoned all his finances and everything and just moved to Sedona with a pickup truck. Yeah. You know, and that's one path. uh, But then eventually you're going to have to start, building a life back up probably yeah, and, and re-entering the world in order to carry whatever it is that you learn, you know? Many people have that all or nothing approach. You know, they they say, oh, well, you know, I need to go live in a cabin in the woods forever or, you know, sell all my belongings and become a monk forever. And I, I do think that brief excursions here and there into those uncomfortable scenarios are, are very developmental for character and do really help you to appreciate the pleasures in life that you might have lost your full mindfulness around in terms of appreciating and being present with them. That piping hot cup of coffee in the morning that you grab and suck down while you're hunched over emails on your computer that you barely appreciate anymore, even though it arrived to you from freaking South America, you know, selectively roasted and, and handpicked and you know, all the jet fuel that got burnt to bring it up to you. And, and you just, you know, you suck it down morning after morning after morning without being aware of it. You go camping without any coffee for a week, you come back and you might be a little bit more appreciative of that cup of coffee. Uh, and, and so I think that for self-awareness and for appreciating a lot of these modern pleasures in life, that extracting yourself on a regular basis, having, you know, there, there's a wonderful book that I'm taking my family to through right now. Uh, called the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And every two weeks, we visit a different topic within that book. Uh, The topic last week was teachability. Uh, the topic this week, fittingly enough, is is unplugging. You know, there was everything from charity and service to worship to self examination and a host of other topics that came before that. But one was a retreat. Right, the value, and, and we see this over and over again in great philosophers and thinkers and authors of having some structured, scheduled retreat each year in which you do escape a lot of the modern conveniences of life. And uh, in many cases, it is accompanied uh, with things that go quite well, that pair quite well with the retreats, uh, particularly fasting, prayer, silence, solitude study, you know, the, these things that, that a retreat better enables us to do when we are free of distractions. I especially think that 
anybody who is attracted to this new sexy world of plant medicine and fast tracking the self-discovery process through ayahuasca or through, you know, complete ego dissolution via, you know, whatever psilocybin or MDMA or, or anything else needs to take that route first needs to go off by themselves and experience what, uh, what what a plant medicine or a drug-free journey of self-discovery is like. In other words, yeah. do the hard shit first before you pop the pill. <laughs> or and, that pill popping could be a lot harder than it needs to be. <laughs> right, right. Because all the shit that you've been suppressing and repressing by yeah. not wanting to go just face silence yeah. and face yourself is going to be shoved into your face like a giant funhouse I, I know mirror. many people who, who have gone <clears> off on <throat> implant medicine immersions and couldn't even handle a week-long dieta going in. Couldn't, couldn't handle restricting meat Restricting alcohol, restricting the use of other compounds that they become attached to, uh, doing at least a you know a, a twelve to twenty four hour fast beforehand, uh, because they really had had never put themselves into that scenario. If a week before going into a ceremony like that, you can't even do that, it's a pretty good sign you're not prepared to do it. Right. You just reminded me of one element of that is the character building and discovery of one's self-reliance also. There is a lot of value in that. I'm thinking about where you live in Spokane. I think I've told you this before, but I went to a a boarding school there that was like this quasi-reform school, sort of very cult-like bizarre place in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right, it's not a yeah. stretch. You can imagine, yeah. you know, it's like 30 miles south of Canada or so. But I, rem- mm-hmm. I remember telling you, I was like, oh, Spokane, that was the big city for us. Every once in a while, they would set us loose in our little, mm-hmm. you know, um, short bus and take us to Spokane. It oh, was yeah. Like, it was the, like being the, in Manhattan. The you know? moms are all, they're not driving <laughs> minivans. They're driving pickup trucks with, with 44s, yeah. you know, holster to their hip. Yeah. yeah. But at this school, it's called Rocky Mountain Academy. One of the beautiful things that they did for us is they sent us out on a vision quest. So they'd give you like a 50, 60 pound pack. I'm 14 years old at the time. God knows how much I weighed, but it was probably double the pack if that. Uh, and for you hike up into the mountains, um, you know, three feet of snow, snowshoes, the whole deal. And then they give you a tarp and teach you how to build a, a you know, a little ice shelter or yeah. snow shelter. And they're just yeah. like, Here's your journal and a can of Sterno mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. beans. Bye. Mm-hmm. Well, I gave you beans. Yeah. There's that. And yeah, yeah. at least you'd have to go out and yeah. find your own food. Yeah. But yeah, and it was, you know, of course it was extremely challenging and scary. You hear noises at night. I'm 14. I'm from California. Like I miss my skateboard and my Walkman and my Black Sabbath tape, mm-hmm. you know? And um, here I am. And it was challenging, but man, coming down that mountain, I was a different person. It really was like a coming of age, um, right? A passage kind of thing. And I was like, holy shit, I did that. You know, and it gave me a lot of confidence as coming out of that, you know, afraid little boy that's kind of afraid of the dark of that, man, I hung out here for three days and nights with just myself and a pen and a journal and um and lived to tell the tale. You yeah. Know? Well you had very irresponsible parents to allow you to do something <laughs> like that. There are people jumping through the radio waves right now. Um no, this was under supervision. Yes. You know, at the no, school. No, I'm I'm joking actually. <clears throat> oh, okay. I think that more boys especially should go through a rite of passage like that. Oh got it. I, yeah. You know, my boys will have their well they'll have a kind of a four day group wilderness survival uh, next spring. And they've been doing camps with this same facilitator for the past six years. So they've already built up their spear making and their bow drill and their, their sheltering and their plant foraging and their general survival tactics. 
And then that four-day immersion will be finished with a 24-hour solo, right? River will be cut off from his twin Terran, Terran from his twin River. They'll, similar to you, have a backpack, a journal, you know, wool blanket, a knife, and be uh, you know, forced to fend for themselves for 24 hours. With no sternum and when, I, when, I, when I say forced, this is not like dad is kicking, <laughs> but, but you know, it's one of those things where I'm setting it up and should they choose to swallow that pill, that's, that's yeah. all there for them <clears throat> when they're 13. The following year, when they are 14, they will go through uh, from that rite of passage into adolescence through another rite of passage into adulthood where it will be four days solo. And during those experiences, they will experience loneliness. They will experience ego dissolution. They will experience a greater connectedness to God because there isn't a whole lot aside from that to connect with once you've been inside your head for that long, you know, out by yourself, usually mm-hmm. hungry and undergoing some element of, of hardship and fasting and thirst. And I truly wish that I had done something like that when I was 13 or 14, because my rite of passage was about 20 years of Ironman triathlon and Spartan racing and death racing and adventure racing and bodybuilding and kettlebell swing, everything else to prove to the world that I was a man. Uh, And I think that had my passage to manhood been more clearly recognized as an adolescent, and I think this would be the case for many men out there who are still searching and who still deep down inside are boys, right? They're not fathers. They're not leaders. They're not kings. They're still boys deep down inside. You're talking and, about Antifa? Antifa? <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry. Can uh, resist? Um, <laughs> totally they, off uh, topic. Inside joke. <laughs> they, um, they, they need that. And, and I think that culture would be better off for it. We would have stronger fathers and leaders and kings if rite of passage was built into our westernized culture in the same way that it's still built into to many indigenous hunter-gatherer cultures. It doesn't have to be evil and wicked and vehement and you know, overseen by elders who lack humbleness and meekness. It doesn't have to be you know, like the Wild Wild West storybook I was reading to my boys uh, last year where they, they take the youth and they put holes in their skin and hang them from, from, uh, from hooks from a ceiling and twist them in circles while they attach buffalo skulls to the chains that hang off the hook so they get heavier and heavier. And then once they drop down, they have to run those buffalo skulls through the, through the tribe while they're getting kicked and punched and you know scraped. And then those who still have the buffalo skulls, uh, skulls attached to their hide after all of that, they then have to drag them out to a field and just live out in the field until the skin rots and the skulls eventually uh, get detached because the rotting skin has allowed the the cable hooks to come free and then they can whether you you go through that long route or whether you go through the route where you're dragging your buffalo skulls through the village and all of them eventually just become detached from the skin uh you then return back you get one of your fingers cut off to signify that you have made it to warrior status and then you are a man i don't want my boys to do that right damn who who, who is this maybe they can carry a buffalo skull (laughs) up a a steep hill i forget the tribe it's it's a wild wild west storybook i was reading to my kids oh my god so a native um, american tribe yeah and this is real american oh yeah this this is all for real shit um that's a little extreme yeah but we do need our adolescents to have a little bit more of a remarkable recognition of their passage into adulthood and a recognition of their increasing responsibility in society and a contribution or potential for contribution to society recognized. And you know, I, I think that's, that's wonderful that you did something like that in Bonner's Ferry. 
You know, yeah, I, think. I mean, it was, you know, it was part of the journey. And I think yeah. that whole two-year stint there really was the pivotal experience that changed the trajectory, even though I came out of there and still became an incorrigible drug addict. Uh, it did stop me from committing crimes against other mm-hmm. people, which is a pattern that had developed up until the time I was 14. And so after that, I, you know, not that I never yeah. committed any crimes, but they were just crimes around breaking drug laws, basically not breaking into people's houses and all kinds of things that I was getting into when I was real young. So yeah, definitely, you know, that sense of self-worth and of um, self-empowerment was huge. Yeah, And there was a lot of stuff like that there, you know, that just made you tougher, you know? Yeah. Um, you mentioned indigenous peoples and I think it's been really interesting over the years, um, past two years specifically of uh, going into different ceremonies with people of different traditions and I'm just being curious as guys like us are and asking them questions and in some cases interviewing them, but what was it like for you growing up? And, you know, tell me about your lineage and, um, you know, when you came into this life and started doing medicine. And I was actually shocked to find that uh, many of these indigenous peoples that practice the use of plant medicines start really young and, and their initiations often include the use of plant medicines with their kids. Now that's, you know, obviously in our culture, that's not something that would be kosher in most cases, um, you know, well, it's, due it's, to the technicality. It's not, of the, uh, it's not legal, of course, yeah. you know, in, in most situations with most compounds, you know, unless you're, I don't know, your kids can have their first glass of wine or something like that. <laughs> they've, yeah. they've been ceremonially inducted, but I actually am not opposed to the use of plant medicines, especially in, in, a ceremony that's taking place during the rite of passage or after. I think that that's something that just further allows for a dissolution of the ego and a greater connectedness to self and to God. And I'm certainly not tabling the idea of that for my own boys. Uh, again, although, you know, at that point we have to be careful with anything we say because I don't want social workers showing up at my door yeah, digging course. under their beds for, uh, for, for their cup of ayahuasca or something like that. Hypothetically right. speaking, Hi- hypothetically one could consider speaking, that as an yeah, option. Hypothetically speaking, my, my boys will have a very responsible, um, attitude towards and use of plant medicine probably by the time they're 15. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of plant medicines, uh, what was the first experience that you had and what different experiences have you had? Like what different compounds have really moved the needle for you or had an impact? Well, as, as with, um, as with many of the forays that I take before I fully understand the power of something, I cowboyed a lot in, in the early days of, of my use with some of those compounds. And by early days, not very early, I didn't really touch anything except alcohol until I was 31 and I am 38 now. Right, had, you know, smoked half a joint in a parking lot, you know, once, and and I'd certainly drank a lot of Everclear and beer and, and wine in college, and and went through a stint where I was a bit of a wine aficionado and went everywhere with my wine Bible and did wine tastings, and you know, <laughs> but but for me it was pretty much all alcohol, and you know, the occasional cigar, you know, a little bit of a joint here and there, and um, I started to look into a lot of these, um, 
a lot of these compounds that are so-called lysergamides or variants of LSA or LSD for enhancing cognition or to be used as a microdose for left and right brain hemispheric activity. Started to look into psilocybin just based on a basic Stamets protocol, you know, of psilocybin and niacin and lion's mane, again, for uh, nature immersion or for, you know, a day of, of creative thinking. Um, did a little bit of microdosing with MDMA and with ketamine, uh, primarily with MDMA, for, really? for sexual experiences. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. A little, you know, oxytocin usually along with that yeah, for the trust, yeah, for the yeah. connectedness piece. Yeah. And, um, did my first ayahuasca ceremony, uh, here, uh, in the U S with a, with a very good facilitator, uh, who a lot of people are probably familiar with. And that was paired with, uh, DMT and, you know, went through that for a few days. And that was my first realization of how deep. So you're smoking one, DMT wall deep, on ayahuasca. Yeah. How deep what? one could go Dude, in terms of uh, crazy in terms of, of what I would <clears throat> consider to be a very intense journey into, you know, pure light and love and a connectedness with, with God. And, and I've, I've never had that much baggage in my life emotionally um, or even from a relationship standpoint. You know, I lived a pretty clean life as a, as a young Christian kid. I never went through a whole lot of, of trauma. Uh, I, I, I haven't had a lot of, of baggage that I've needed to deal with. So I never really approached plant medicine from that perspective. Uh, thus, most of my experiences have been pretty dang pleasant and full of just light and love and bliss. Um, you know, and, and from that, the ayahuasca and DMT ceremony, uh, did a few other ayahuasca and DMT experiences. Um, are you, are you doing the Bufo toad or the synthetic DMT? Both, both. I, I made a few orders from, uh, wasn't Sigma laboratories. I think, I think it was Lysergy at the time. Uh, and, you know, these are like synthetic variants mm-hmm. of DMT, uh, synthetic extracts of, of psilocybin, you know, et cetera. And um, just just kind of cowboyed around with it for a little while. But but even, even still didn't have until I was 36 years old, a, a great deal of intentionality, a great deal of, of set and setting built up around some of these immersions. It was more just sheer curiosity. What's mm-hmm. this one do? What's it make me feel like? Right. You know, what different things do I see when I, when I use this? You know, how does that make me feel? You know, which, which one, you know, makes you feel like you get run over train the next day versus having a super clear head and happy clappy the next day. And, right. Um, and I, a couple years ago, began to work with a facilitator who uses about 60 different Amazonian plant medicines and decided that after having seen my father go through what I would consider a midlife crisis, he uh, became a member of the Eastern Orthodox church and uh, he, and I I love my dad, you know, I I don't want to to talk down on him on on the podcast, but he seemed to go off on his own journey of self-discovery he moved to, to Vashon Island to live with some monks for a while. He, he traveled to the East to study Eastern Orthodoxy there. He began to have his own private prayer practices and icons and began to go to a different church and eventually uh, divorced my mom and left the family. And I think that a great deal of the journey that he went on actually made him a, you know, to a certain extent, a wiser, more enlightened individual. 
you know, he did change. He released a lot of, a lot of judgment, a lot of shame, a lot of ego. But at the same time, the journey also left his family in the wake, right? Left, left the whole family behind. And that in and of itself can create a lot of trauma, especially for my younger brothers and sisters who were still in the house at the time and, and had to deal with all of that. You know, you, you never want to see your, your parents split up. And of course, you never want to hear them, you know, blaming each other or shoving each other under the bus. And all of that happens as, as parents are going through divorce, you know, inevitably. At least, I, you know, I've, I've run into very few people who still don't, you know, badmouth someone they had a divorce with or, you know, or claim it was someone else's fault or whatnot. And that's hard on the kids. Uh, I did not want to begin delving because I found my consciousness expanding. I found my, my ego was somewhat dissolving. I found myself becoming a different person when it came to the way that I, um, that I approach my spiritual practice, you know, enhancing my own breath work, my meditation, my yoga, my journaling, my, my delving into scriptures, everything began to change. It was as though my, my consciousness was expanding to a certain extent, which I think is, is one of the beneficial effects of these type of compounds. Uh, but my wife, Jessa had no clue about any of this or how it worked. All she knew was, you know, Ben's getting a little different. You know, he's not as into like riding his bike down the highway super fast and spandex anymore. He's getting a little bit more into meditation and journaling and these weird forms of breath work down in the basement in the sauna. And I could see that it was taking us in two different directions. So two years ago, I began to work with this facilitator who primarily works with couples. You're, You're doing a ceremony together you're in the same place uh, after you've, you've gone through a series of different medicines and soundtracks, et cetera, that, that he chooses for you. You then face each other in bed for a good five to seven hours talking about life, about family, about relationship, you know, still in the medicine space, but looking deep into each other's eyes. Uh, we have done that uh, six times, you know, just in the past two years. And it's been transformative for our relationship in terms of journeying together rather than me, you know, going off on, on my own journey. And I have to tell you, uh, for legal reasons, uh, my facilitator will not even tell me what he is using. You know, I, I can tell you it, it's, it's both synthetics and plant medicines. You know, having experienced all that stuff kind of individually on my own, LSD, ketamine, MDMA, ayahuasca, DMT, Iboga, all this. Like I can, I can kind of tell. I'm like, oh, he just, I think he just injected this into my shoulder. <laughs> or I'm pretty sure that last capsule I took was, was this or that. And there's even a, a microdosing protocol that he puts me on in between our sessions where I'm, I'm taking, you know, these little pills on one day. You know, one's called creativity, another is called focus, another is called compassion. And, and you kind of weave these into the month on a, on a certain scheduling basis to kind of um, keep you in the space to a very small extent, so to speak. So you continue to get downloads and continue to, to merge left and right hemispheres and continue to be in kind of an ego-dissolved state. And um, so it's a, it's a really, really interesting approach. And uh, that's pretty much for me, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. Quarterly, you know, plant medicine retreat with my wife overseen by a facilitator with a little bit of a microdosing in between. Like it's, it's working extremely, extremely well for me uh, with the only exception being that early on in the process, I, I was always, you know, the physiologist in me was always aware, just like I just described, you know, oh, what's that? Or could you change the soundtrack or, Hey, hey I'm, I think I'm too lucid. I'd, you know, and, and I'm paying attention to sounds in the room and kind of self-analyzing and my ego is just so big. It would not turn off. And so I did go through, this was a year and a half ago. I've had a lot of comments from people actually, since I did this, that even my personality changed and my writing changed and the things I would say on stage or in podcasts began to change. But I went through about a 27 hour, very, very unpleasant 
experience that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy, you know, with vomiting and urination, sweating through the bed sheets and crap in my pants. And, you know, it was just deep, deep into very uncomfortable medicines uh, in order to kind of crack open the ego, to allow myself to release the built-in belief that I've, that I've grown up with, that I am the hero, that I am God's gift to mankind, that I am the truth, that I am the Jesus, that I am the savior. You know, I really had that, that complex just spinning away at the back of my mind. And that, that ceremony just ripped all that wide open. And since then I've realized, you know, frankly, in a nutshell, that I don't need to be the hero that, you know, any shame I project on people, any judgment I project on people, None of that is necessary because we are all saved by the death of Jesus. We are all therefore accepted. And at our death, we can pass into eternal bliss with God the Father. And who am I to tell anyone that they are on unequal footing or that Jesus didn't die for them? Who am I to say that I'm so powerful, I can be the hero, I can save the world? That's already been done. My only job is to just tell people the good news. And... um, and that, that, that was really transformative for me. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the, uh, <clears throat> the medicines have a way of changing one's perspective yeah. powerfully and profoundly. Yeah. You know, after I was sober 22 years and I'd heard about psychedelics and plant medicines with, you know, done intentionally, whether in a therapeutic setting um, or in a shamanic traditional ceremony. And I thought that's great for you people, but I can't do that because I, I'm not allowed to do anything mind altering as a practice of self-preservation. Because historically, had I thought, well, I've been off drugs for a little while, I could probably drink a couple beers. Then there I go again. It's just like the pattern is so obvious every time going back into my 20s and stuff. <clears throat> but after I started to explore a bit a couple years ago, I started to remember that even before I got sober, when I was just using psychedelics to escape a couple times i did have experiences similar to what you describe that helped me to see myself in a way objectively that would have been impossible had i not had the assistance mm-hmm. of that change of consciousness and in one particular situation i totally forgotten about this um i took a bunch of mushrooms because i used to sell mushrooms as for a living you know, back mm-hmm. in the day here in hollywood I had these big <laughs> these big um five gallon buckets you know and i used to buy like that's funny about like, <laughs> you know five pounds of shrooms at a my, time my mom actually she sold a lot of shrooms before she oh, moved really? before she moved from uh, from detroit to moscow like she was she was deep in shrooms yeah, yeah. i mean that's, there, like she was pretty much on shrooms she, she told me this last year pretty much every day really yeah i mean they're a good business because the markup you know your margins are good but you can still offer value mm-hmm. i mean you could basically double you know your wholesale to retail price and still be solid with your customer so i liked it but anyway i digress uh you know one time i don't know i probably took 5 7 grams of mushrooms or something just cuz i was depressed and sad mm-hmm. and anxious and suicidal and i thought mm-hmm. well if i just pour mushrooms on this i'll feel better and mm-hmm. um of course that didn't happen what happened was i had this experience in which i was able to see what a train wreck my life had become. I'm maybe 25 years old. And, you know, it was just the clarity that I was given, even though I was drinking with them and stuff like that. I was trying to party. 
I had this basically like a nervous breakdown. It was just sobbing. And my, you know, my buddy, uh, Repo was his name. He was the drummer of my band. He's like, dude, you're a bummer. Like you're the worst guy to shroom with. Cause I was just melting yeah. down, you know? But what happened was I just realized like, man, I, I, there was, I think I identified there was this seed of potential in me and the mushrooms helped me to see that, that if I could just get sober, ironic as that might sound, that I could have a life that could actually uh, contribute something to the world and that I could make something of myself, mm-hmm. you know? And I forgot about that for a very long time. And then shortly after that, I did. I, I, you know, checked myself into rehab and I, for the first time in my life, started praying to God uh, just in a nebulous, vague kind of mm-hmm. way, just creator, whatever you are. I mean, I don't care if you told me to be a Hare Krishna, to become a Christian, you know, if G- Judaism, whatever, I would have done it. But I didn't really have any specific path it was just like god help me because i can't help myself you know and um and it came and it happened and it did but then it was it took 22 years of just doing things on the natch and just looking at myself in the mirror every day and doing all of the meditation all the work going to india and all that before i finally did the medicines again and i have to say man it's like the rewiring of my brain that has taken place through the experiences i've had you know a few with peyote a few ayahuasca one Bufo, handful of mushroom journeys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm just going, I don't get triggered anymore by the shit that I used to get triggered for. It's like even after 22 years of just digging and digging and working and working and growing and surrendering and surrendering and all of that, there were still just pathways, I think, in the mind that just couldn't be reached, yeah. you know? Yep. Where a certain experience or especially in romantic relationships, just things that would happen and and patterns that I was acting out that were um, that weren't productive, you know, in various ways that I could see, but I still couldn't really stop. You know, I'd be like, "Well, I'm never doing that again." And then that that neural connection would draw me back into that felt sense of experience or the pattern that results from it. And I swear, the, those medicines, man, have just like gone into my psyche and rearranged things in a way. By me just voluntarily letting go and trusting that process and trusting God and God's creation and working through those medicines and the various very talented um, facilitators and therapists that I've worked with, it's like I can't imagine where I would be right now if I hadn't, you know, made that decision and followed my intuition two years ago to Costa Rica and do my first series of four ayahuasca ceremonies. Yeah, it's just a completely different world. The thing is, though, and you mentioned this earlier, is that. I made very sure I did my research that none of the things I was taking had any potential for addiction. And still to this day, I've, I've right. never heard of someone like smoking bufo toad and be like, oh, I'm going to do that in a couple no. hours. Yeah, if, you you know? take, if you take eight grams of psilocybin, you don't, <laughs> you don't want to see psilocybin the next day. <laughs> actually, for sure. I, actually, I do. I would have, yeah. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last time I, I did that, I was the next day, I was like, that was awesome. I should yeah. do that again. But point being is I, I did research you know, I'm talking about cocaine, crystal meth, heroin, mm-hmm. alcohol. I mean, those are the, that's how I rolled back yeah. in the day. I'm not proud of it or ashamed of it. It's just, it's the medicine I needed to not kill myself basically. And so I researched all this stuff to make sure that I wasn't going to like, you know, put my toe in the water and fall in the pool again, so to speak. And so after talking to so many people that had been sober or that were rendered sober, even by these profound experiences, I went into it and I, I don't feel at all that I've, Anything has become habit forming at all, but I have noticed because I've accomplished so much spiritually in those experiences and I've overcome just such deep seated wounds 
and as I said, broken those patterns that that part of me that wants to keep improving and keep merging with God and keep growing has tended to want to seek out those experiences with pretty rapid succession. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, I'm dating a woman who's a shaman and a spiritual teacher and is wise (laughs) and I trust her wisdom. And she pointed that out to me. She's like, "I, I know you're not getting addicted to this stuff, but I don't know if you're realizing like, you're going to the ceremony yeah. pretty often yep. with a lot of different things. And that's cool. That's you. That's your path. But there's something in it to her. She communicated. It feels off to me. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I'm not addicted. But what I realize is it's what you mentioned earlier. It's kind of like, it's not addiction, but it's the attachment to those peak experiences is the potential risk there, I think. you know, um, And the attachment to those peak experience, for me, I, I think I'm more susceptible to that because the benefits of those experiences are so profound and so obvious to me and I'm not delusional. So if I do a mushroom journey and like, you know, have some deep healing or realization, like a lot of my book came to me in the last MDMA psilocybin journey I had. And it was just like, boom, this is what happened. I was going to write a book just so I could get paid more to go to public speaking, to be like, oh, I'm an author to put that in my bio. I mean, it was literally self-serving just 100% just mm-hmm. for my career. Took the mushrooms and I was like, Yeah, what's up with the book? What am I supposed to do? And it's like, Boom, you're supposed to do this for other people. <laughs> you know, and then the whole thing yeah. unfolded. Yep. Um, so when I have something like that, I'm drawn like, Well, shit, if that happened last weekend and it totally changed the trajectory of a huge component of my career, then what could happen this weekend? So it's, you know, it's like it's an attachment to the experience more so than you know, oh, I hate my life, so I want to escape. So I'm going to go do coke and hang out at a strip bar tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have uh, two two observations, and then one question for you. Uh, my first observation is that you do need to be cautious because I view something like a plant medicine experience from a neural health standpoint as being similar to a TBI or concussion in terms of the potential for neural inflammation and neurotoxicity that it can produce. This is why many people uh, going into and coming out of such a ceremony will use um, antioxidants such as glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, and vitamin C will replenish serotonin with things like uh, 5-HTP or methionine. Uh, or amino acids, um, they will often benefit from things like uh, ketone bodies, high dose fish oil, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. You know the laser lights that you wear on your head, those V light devices. I, I treat a ceremony, which for me would be quarterly maximum, as something that really beats up the brain. Similar to the way that I would not do an Ironman triathlon six times a year without accepting the fact that it was going to damage some joints and result in some endocrine disruption, overtraining, thyroid depletion, etc. I would I would be cautious with hard and heavy use of you know higher dose levels of these plant medicines for those reasons. Um, I also do not want to give people the impression that this is for everyone. I think that you need to be ready. You need to have already implemented the spiritual disciplines in your life. You already need to have a fasting practice. You already need to be able to have had released your attachments from a lot of the the pleasures in life that you might be um, addicted to from a negative standpoint. There is a lot of preparatory work that goes into even being ready to consider something like this. And if you're not willing to do that prep work, it's probably not for you. 
uh, because you don't do this work to enable yourself to do the prep work. You do the prep work first to then allow yourself to get the most benefit out of a medicine. That's that's very Agreed. important. 100%. You must do the hard work first. One of the first chapters I wrote in my book was like a check yourself, the set and yep. setting thing. It ended up being yep. quite a, a dense piece because I realized, especially for people in recovery, I mean, there's, I would 10x your you know statement yeah. of prudence and discernment yeah. there but yeah um i've been invited to ceremonies like here in hollywood you know, oh my friend's doing an ayahuasca thing next week and i'm like ooh, no, no. <laughs> so, no. I, it just doesn't feel right you know no I've, whole- I've, I've been part of a session like that a, a couple of times actually and it's a complete waste of time and waste of medicine in my opinion it's kind of yeah. a it's kind of an excuse to party uh, yeah. with, with something that might be considered noble and laudable, but out of context is, is just not something I think most folks are going to get much out of aside from a pleasant conversation with friends in a more open-hearted scenario than you might normally be in. But I just, I don't think it's worth it. Um, and then a question for you is, I know that you have your own, I, I guess I would say spiritual disciplines practice, whether it be journaling or meditation. And when I did the, the home bio hacking tour with you. We went up to your Zen den where you'll combine things like a dispensa meditation with new calm with a biocharger. And I'm just curious for you, boots on the streets, when it comes to your spiritual disciplinary practice, what things look like for you these days? What are, what are some things that you do that you think people could or should try themselves at home? Well, I think I've that don't involve some fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, I've gone device. through so many iterations. You know, when I first got sober, as I said, I you know I wake up in rehab, twenty six years old, burned my life to the ground. Not that there was a lot to be burned there in the first place, but what little there was just been decimated, suicidal at death's door, yellow, one hundred thirty five pounds, and I said the first honest prayer of my life, and that was just God. I I don't know how to live life. You got to help me. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. And that was the beginning of my spiritual path. And it was just such um, a surrender moment, you know, when the arrogance and bravado and pride that I had propped up with all of this shit in my life had all crumbled. Um, it was just me and the creator there. And in that moment, something happened to me. Mm-hmm. And for the past 24 years, Ben, honestly, all I've been doing is just exploring with curiosity, what was that thing and who did it? Because right. it weren't me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I could not release myself. And for anyone that's not had that experience of acute addiction, I, I think some people think like, well, don't, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just self-discipline. Just mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. Just stop. And it just, it doesn't yeah. work like that. The Jocko when, approach. When, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it, How do you, you get know, tough? Just be tough. When you're 26 and you, you know, you're, you're addicted to heroin for five years. It's not just like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and not do this and think positive. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it doesn't work like that. Uh, most of the time. So that was the beginning. And really thankfully, you know, I'm so grateful that I had that experience because there was no choice, but to pursue a spiritual way of life. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, cause I want to meet cute girls at the yoga class or the Mm -hmm. breathwork class. It was like, I know I'm going to die if I don't build a relationship with that thing that came into my heart and mind and released me from that bondage. Mm-hmm. And there was just no denying it. I don't care. You could have held a gun up to my head and said, you have to disavow God. It's not real. It was a fantasy. There's just no way when you know, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've had these experiences. And so 
Because my pathway to a spiritual life happened to be based in addiction, my entry point was the 12 steps. And the 12 steps are loosely based on different Christian principles, actually. That, that, that's, that's the AA, right? Mm-hmm. 12 steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, this has to do with acknowledging that you in and of yourself can't solve your problem. Mm-hmm. that there is a power greater than you, call it what you want, that can solve your problem. I'm kind of running through the steps here. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you've identified that you can only go so far on your own, that there there is another power available to you and you open your mind to that, then you make a decision to turn your will, like what you want in your life, your desires, and the result of your desires, which is your life, the outcome, over to that power that you call God. And then you go on to inventory, uh, all of the things within yourself that have blocked you from God and that mm-hmm. experience of wholeness and completion that you were innately born with. Um, you make restitution to the people that you've harmed along the way and you make that a habit. You learn to pray and meditate and you build this life you know, of, of observing your character defects as they arise and having self-honesty and building a life of humility and a life that is truly surrendered to a higher power. And as you've lived that, the purpose is to remove everything that's blocking you from the relationship with God. And when that's happened to a point where you can be functional and carry that into your life, taking those spiritual principles and applying them into the fabric of your character, then you've got something to offer other people and you come to understand that life is about serving others. Mm-hmm. And so the whole foundation of, of my path was so simple and grassroots. It's just like, you know, 12 spiritual truths. You apply those to your life in earnest at first out of desperation because you're in so much pain, then as your life starts to improve and you realize, wow, it feels pretty good to actually contribute rather than just be a deficit on my environment and the people in it, uh, then you're driven to pursue that further. And that's in kind of deepening the relationship with prayer and meditation. And so out of that foundation, when I realized something had happened to me and for me, and I start to build a little foundation and get a bit more solid, then I went to India and um, you know, studied meditation and something called Diksha there, which is an energy transmission and got into Kundalini mm. yoga and did that for, mm-hmm. I mean, I still do, but really devoted for about eight years and wow. included in the Kundalini yoga path is they don't call it breath work, but many of the Kriya involve all kinds of different breathing oh, yeah. patterns, you know, yeah. as I'm sure you're aware. And, um, and then I learned Vedic meditation, you know, which is I'm going like the no bells and whistles and I'll work my way up into the experimentation and complexity. But in Vedic meditation, uh, it's out of the TM lineage. You know, they kind of split off from the same teaching and took on two different brand names. But essentially your teacher gives you a mantra, which is a Sanskrit sound or word mm-hmm. that you repeat effortlessly and silently kind of in the back of your mind. And it has the net effect of distracting your awareness from your thoughts so that you mm-hmm. can transcend into that kind of theta space, which I love. Mm-hmm. My favorite brain state to be in yeah. and uh, well, i know you're a true tm practitioner because you didn't reveal your mantra <laughs> no, which, no, is a, no. which is a big no-no <laughs> yeah yeah right? yeah I, you know yeah i follow, I follow tradition you know i mm-hmm. do um and you know did that for years and still sometimes do but i think what the vedic meditation did for me is allowed me to identify when i've hit that spot like oh yeah here it goes and the nervous system just goes and just winds down and you start to watch those thoughts go by like grasshoppers Mm -hmm. on a wheat field, you know? And so once I started to be able to do that just on the gnats, just by sitting there and being quiet, even in, you know, I used to meditate in the middle of New York city in union square, be like, Oh, 6 PM time for my daily 20 minutes, you know, the afternoon one. And I, I could do it there. 
then I started to discover things like Newcom and the mm-hmm. um, Fisher Wallace device and the, the um, Circadia. Yeah, yeah, yep. the Circadia, the um, the Soda, the, the S T S O T A Sota, the little um, electrodes that go in your earlobes mm-hmm. and. Yep. Popping in the hyperbaric yeah. chamber. A lot, a lot and, of things that stimulate the vagus nerve. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, although I appreciate the simplicity and beauty of so-called stripped down meditation, back to the better living through science piece, I have found myself able to enter into much deeper delta and theta brainwave production, much deeper state of relaxation, much more uh, much greater feelings of refreshment afterwards, uh, particularly with the use of the new calm device. <laughs> Amazing, I absolutely dude. love Amazing. it. And people, you know, I heard about that people on will your jump podcast, into the comment actually. section and they'll say, Oh, Ben's getting paid to rep some device or, you know, this is yet another uh, passing trend, but I use that every day, every single day when I'm at home. I always do it in the hyperbaric chamber because (laughs) as you have experienced, that shoves you even more deeply. And so for me, perfect afternoon meditation at home is essential oils, you know, like lavender or bergamot, et cetera, sprinkled into that hyperbaric chamber. And oh, that's then, a good uh, idea. Yep. And then the new Never calm. You, ever put, you could put them in the little, uh, in the little cannula thing mm-hmm. too. Oh, yeah. that's I cool. just wrote a big article about this on my that's website, kind of detailing the, the entire uh, stack. But in essence, it's, you know, if you have a hyperbaric chamber, great. If you don't, you know, just find a, a quiet place. Or if you have like a, you know, a grounding mat or a, or a bio mat, you know, any surface that's different uh, or even just going outside on a rock or under a tree, you put on the headphones, you put on the little new calm disc right above the, uh, the, the uh, acupressure point on your wrist. And then you put on uh, noise blocking headphones and a mask. I will either use the mindfold mask and some good Bose wired no- noise phones, or I've been using lately, a device that is called a, a silent mode mask, which is a full wraparound cocoon over your face, which is absolutely stellar because it doesn't have to operate on Bluetooth. I can wire it straight into my phone. Uh, and so I'll play the new calm track on that. Typically just the, one of the 20 minute power nap settings, or if I have a longer period of time to meditate the really long brand new, uh, that new recovery. Delta recovery yeah, session. That one's insane. Oh, I did that. So I woke up about five <laughs> oh, o'clock so this good. morning, but I got out of bed at five fifty because I ran that session and yeah. oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing. I, yeah. I go off to another plan. I don't fall asleep, but I'm almost subconscious. It's, yeah. it's, it's very, very odd. I, yeah. It's hard to describe the feeling, but, but you just, <laughs> completely lose connected with your body. And I'll always wake up with drool coming out the corner of my <laughs> That's mouth. That's what I was about to say. I'm yep. like, if I ain't drooling, it wasn't yep. a good meditation. Exactly. <laughs> and then um, on, on top of all of that, usually something that I'll take internally to relax, I find reishi mushroom to allow me to get through a session like that and not be groggy afterwards. So I usually for me, it's just a little bit of mushroom, reishi mushroom. And then I wear that uh, Apollo uh, ah. that, that Apollo ankle band. Mine just broke. Mm-hmm. I'm so bummed, dude. Yeah. I and, love that thing. And I, I put that into relax and unwind mode, which yeah. I found to be the best. Even though they, I think they have a meditation mode, relax and unwind seem to work best. And that is my afternoon meditation. When I travel, I do all of that, except I'm just laying on my back on the hotel bed or in the back of an Uber, if it's a long Uber ride or at a park, if I'm walking to an appointment, I'll just stop off in the park, go under a tree, pull that out of my bag. You know, it's just a, the wristband, the headphones, the mask, the app, boom, go. And uh, I pair that with a 
morning practice in which I wake up and I do this with my whole family. I gather the whole family on the back porch and we do a quick five-minute meditation, the whole family. We use an app called Abide. It's a Christian meditation app that starts with scripture, brings you through prayer, and typically has some kind of lesson and a little bit of breath work oh, that's as, cool. as you go through it. They have 10 and 20-minute options, but that's because cool. we're doing this all as a family, you know, everybody's making breakfast and getting ready, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. some people have half their clothing on, and it's just like, boom, go. Dad, somebody has to be the leader, right? So I'm, I'm the leader, and I just walk down, and I'm, I'm super rude, and I just, I just say, everybody, drop everything. We're ready. Here we go. And we go out on the back porch and we all sit cross-legged on the back porch. We listen to that. And then we take out our journals and we write down one thing that we are grateful for and one person who we can pray for or help that day. And that that is a foundation for the Greenfield family every single day. Uh, and then in the afternoon, that meditation. Then in the evening, we all gather in the bedroom. We sing for typically about 10 to 15 minutes, play hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, and we, we all sing together as a family. We're starting to harmonize. I'll usually play guitar. The boys will play little bongo drums or hang drums or whatever. So we all sing. And then we do the second part of our journaling. So the first part is gratitude and service in the morning. And then in the evening, it is self-examination. So we answer, what good have I done this day? And what could I have done better this day? So that we identify not only the things that really helped us live out our life's purpose, but that also uh, equip us with a little bit more insight into how we failed and what we could do better to improve that. And then finally, what is one way in which I lived out my life's purpose fully today? And so those are the four journaling questions. What am I grateful for? Who did I pray for? Help or serve in the morning? Then the evening, what good have I done? What could I have done better? And, uh, and, and how did I fully live out my purpose today? What's one way I fully lived out my purpose? Uh, the other elements are that we, we say a, a really good prayer and do a lot of breath work before every meal that we're eating together. And then we always read a Psalms or a proverb or a scripture before dinner. And, and I've found that weaving those into the day, the morning journaling, evening journaling, the morning quick five-minute meditation my own personal 20-minute getaway in the afternoon, and then the evening songs, journaling, and scripture reading, that, that's pretty much the Greenfield family spiritual disciplines in a nutshell. And every day is magical. Every day is magical because of that. You know? And aside from that, there are, of course, the quarterly plant medicine retreats yeah. with my wife. And um, man, like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very happy with the way that life is right now. I, I just Your boys won the karmic lottery, honestly. Can you, know, yeah. can you imagine? I mean... Sounds like your childhood was fairly stable, and I and I too, you know, I love my parents. I always say that they know that they had mm -hmm. their challenges. Um, most people I know, I think it's because I roll with people that are pretty deep and have been through some shit. Mm -hmm. Most of their parents were nuts, and you know, came from this highly dysfunctional environments and things like that. And um, you know, I think that there's a certain karmic gift in that because then you know your ground floor gives you a lot to work with. You know, you have yeah. a lot of grist for the mill, as Ram Dass used to say, and that's a beautiful path too. But when I hear the story about that and your kids. I'm like, oh, these kids scored, man. It's like to to walk into life as adolescents with that kind of a framework where you're learning universal truths, not just as a construct mm -hmm. mentally, but how to apply them to make. Yeah. Them actionable and actually integrate them into your character. I mean, that's yeah. the fiber of who a kid becomes. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've told my kids, I don't care if you are the star of the football team. I don't care if you take your little tennis career and begin to play club tennis and rise through the ranks and decide you want to go into pro tennis. I don't care if you're a famous artist or an author, which is what they want to do right now. And wants to be an artist, wants to be an author. Um, 
and I, I tell them, dad, dad would be just fine if you guys had sandals on, you're traveling around the world as prophets, spreading light and love to the universe. You know, that's, that's what this world needs way more than some muscly hunk thrown around a pigskin on a football field, you know, on the gridiron. <laughs> like we, we are living in an that's era funny. now where we need prophets. We need world changers. And the best I can do is not to live life vicariously through my kids, you know, to, to go be a prophet, you know, in, in my stage, on my podcast, in my writings, continue to steer my direction towards deep, fulfilling and meaningful messages. But if my children can follow in my wake in, in whatever way that God has given them to live their purpose best using their unique skill set, and my wife, who she's, she doesn't like the limelight at all. She, she's, you know, her purpose statement is that she just, she, I forget exactly how she phrases it, but she loves uh, hospitality ministry. She just wants to be a, a hospitable and uh, a ministering godly woman and just support her men at home. And so she almost fancies herself as, as, you know, the armor bearer for, for one big warrior and two little ones. And, um, you know, that's, that's just makes me incredibly happy if my kids can go forth and spread a message of light and love throughout this world with their lives. And the best I can do is give them an example of, of how best to do that. So. Yeah. I, I like the part, uh, they're, they're very fortunate indeed. Um, I like the part you were saying earlier about, you know, you having those ceremonies with your wife, Jessa, periodically throughout the year. And I think back to some of my prior relationships that didn't work out for whatever reason. I think, God, man, if we had both been in the place to have the understanding mm-hmm. um, of ourselves and also of the use of tools and support, you know, from shaman, counselors, medicines, et cetera, to be able to use those as um, tools by which to understand ourselves and one another and really to use them as a, as a bond, you know, and I've experienced that with Allison, you know, we were um, really brought together in a peyote ceremony. You yeah. know, we were friends and we'd been friends for a few years and that was that. And then we had gone on a couple of dates and went and had an experience. And it was just like, you know, you know how it is that, that for the right people in the right time, again, you know, always the disclaimer there, uh, not a blanket recommendation, but just where I was at in my life uh, emotionally and in terms of romantic mm-hmm. relationships and wanting true love and longevity and intimacy and, you know, really wanting to build a life with someone. And I, I don't know that it would have happened in the way that it did hadn't that door just been slammed open by the peyote yeah, in our case. Full openness and yeah, transparency. Yeah, it just like opened yeah. my heart and allowed me to um, to let go of some of the constructs that I had had in place to what I thought was protect myself, you know, from being hurt or from hurting other people. And yeah. uh, it was just like, like barn doors being blown yeah. off by a raging bull. You know, it was just like, nope, Luke, your plan ain't happening. <laughs> and essentially she, you know, she was seeing that there was potential there and had feelings for me. And it was just yeah. like, dude, I don't know what you're up to here, but I'm ready if you are. And if you're not, that's fine. Yeah. But here I am kind of, and I was like, Oh shit, I got to jump. You know, I should, uh, I should connect you with our <laughs> facilitator. I think, I think you guys would really dig uh, the experience with him. It's it's please it's do pretty cool. Maybe, okay. maybe maybe later. I'll uh, if you if you remind me. Sure. Um, wow. Well, there's a there's a lot that we've we've dipped into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm stoked. Is is there anything else that you think that people would really like to know about your spiritual disciplinary practice? Uh, we we had a whole bunch of questions that we wrote down. I think we we fit in maybe what ten percent, possibly eleven yeah. of the questions we wanted to ask each other. Um. But, uh, 
you know, and, and we covered a lot in our last, in our last biohacking episode. Uh, but I would like to ask you one last question and looking over this entire list of questions and, um, for for me, it's it's not really something that appears on this list, but I'm curious because I often ask myself this question: What is your vision? Where is Luke's story in five years or in ten years? Besides a world famous author having published a <laughs> a massive tome yeah. on spiritual awareness, or or we don't know the title. You're not going to reveal it. It's held close to your chest. But um, where do you see yourself? That's an interesting question, you know, and I guess if one doesn't have that answer, they're going to end up wherever the tide takes them. I think for me, Ben, you know, uh, the relationship I have with with my girlfriend, Allison, is so solid and feels so right. And is just, it's just, she's just amazing. And so it includes her and it includes a unified vision of us having a home together, possibly a family. Um, for me, the sense of, having a home and having those healthy, close interpersonal relationships is huge because it wasn't really part of my life experience up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it allowed me to explore other areas of life, but that has always been one that's really been missing even as a kid. And so um, now that I've really found a home within myself and I know that I'm also okay by myself, um, having someone else in my life that is able to be with me um, in a way that's um, mutually autonomous, if that makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. like she has her life, I have my life, but we also come together and share this beautiful space. And so a big part of my vision is just continuing to explore the intimacy, um, the closeness of the the mutual healthy dependence of that relationship and to not only grow together in relationship, but also share some of the things that we've learned on on our journey to get here together and some of the things we're learning together. Um, Mm -hmm. I see in our future, definitely some things that we can share as a couple. Because uh, she does very similar to what we do. I mean, in a different lane, but mm-hmm. um, you know, she's got a lot of wisdom and experience and shares it for a living as well. Um, and then, really, the element of just building a home. You know, I love. I haven't been to your house, but you know, I've seen pictures and heard you talk about it so much. But really, just having a place in nature that is a true refuge for me and my family um, mm-hmm. that is closer to nature and out of a city where I can just you know really have some space to think and space to breathe, and then. As far as career, I mean, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And it's not even, it's not even necessarily that I, you want to scale it per se, as in like, you know, I need to be more famous or mm-hmm. make tons more money. It's more about like. Start ha- a series of grocery stores called Storyville <laughs> and retire. It's more about, I think where I am right now and seeing the vision is how can I really refine the systems? Mm-hmm. Uh, that keep me free of stress and employ other people to be in their zone of genius right? in a way that makes sense, that keeps me in my lane and my zone of genius and having a life that is as free of frustration as possible mm-hmm. by not doing the things that I'm not good at and don't like doing. And so, um, you know, right now as we speak, I'm just in the middle of kind of rebuilding my org chart and SOPs for my team and like really wanting to refine things so that I can employ the right people and have the right people in the right seat on the bus and have them doing something that they're passionate about on the mission, which um, is to help alleviate suffering and help people to really uh, find a God of their understanding and to, you know, optimize their body to the point where they have the vitality and energy to go out and actually find and fulfill their Dharma. 
But in order to yeah. do that, it requires, you know, a structure and a support. And I'm not a guy that typically gravitates toward, toward structure. So in the vision, I see a life that is more structured in terms of my career um, so that I can really focus on the one thing that I'm good at, which is doing what we did here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, sharing my experience and the nuggets of wisdom that I'm able to pick up along the way. And have, well, I, you know, I hope have a, for you that someday you'll be able to write CEO on your business card. Stoke that ego. That should be, I think, every entrepreneur's goal <laughs> to, to, to be able to reach the day where they scratch CEO off their business card. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I definitely don't. I don't want to mm-hmm. be a CEO. It's, it's funny, you know, I, I have this other company called School of Style. And um, uh, in the, well, I'm in the process of making some changes with it, but... I've owned that business for 11 years and I'm so grateful for it. It's been mm-hmm. like a kid that's, you know, grown into an adult and taken care of me. And we've helped thousands of kids that have been, you know, sort of outsiders from this elitist fashion industry. And we've helped all these kids from the inner city and stuff get into the industry. And, you know, mm-hmm. just people that would have never had a way to crack in. And that felt so good, but it only felt good when I was passionate about that particular path, which has been a very long time, you know? And so um, the opportunity to kind of, move on from that soon um, is really exciting and really focus on the thing that I'm most passionate about, which I have been all along, you know, yeah. and, um, and having a life of simplicity, you know? So it's like, how do you, how do you scale your mission and also keep it lean and streamlined mm-hmm. and not too complex? Yeah. And that's really, you know, I think the challenge I, I see now and when I go into my Joe Dispenza meditations and you're envisioning mm-hmm. the future, it's like I'm helping so many people, but it's done with simplicity and clarity and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a streamlined machine that's able to contribute um, content and information in a way that keeps everyone on the team in their lane, in their zone of genius and not stressed out. I love it. I'll drink a little coffee, MCT oil and stevia to that. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. And I've, you know, mm. you seem to be doing a good job too of, of it, of, you know, being extremely productive in your zone of genius. And I know you have your systems and your team and stuff like that. And I'm, every time I see you, we talk about other shit and I'm always like, so how do you manage your this and your that, <laughs> you know, cause it's just like, as the thing grows yeah. when it wasn't, I never intended it for it yeah. to become a thing so much. And it is. And I'm kind of like, Oh shit. Wow. Yeah. This is, I am a CEO now. Oops. Yep. So yeah. 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 Well, how about you? What's, what's your vision moving forward? It's very simple to become each day less of a boy and more of a man to be the very best father that I can be to be the very best leader for my household that I can be to wake up each morning and do the very best that I can with whatever God has put on my plate for that day and to Never go to bed at night feeling as though I have wasted the day, feeling as though I have embarked upon 24 hours that involved wasting one's life. I live to make impact on this planet and each day that yearning grows deeper and I realize it's very esoteric and you know, we could talk about mm-hmm. you know, my business and Keon and the supplements company and books, but ultimately you know, that if I'm a father, a leader, a king, a man of God, and can live out my life's purpose in full excellence and selfless love in full presence uh, for, for every human being that I come across, then um, I'm happy. So excellent. That's, that's the big vision. And um, I know that uh, folks 
uh, might wonder where they can get some of the books that we talk about and some of the, some of the devices that we've discussed and, you know, the other podcast episodes that we've done. And I know you always put together amazing show notes. So great media, uh, my so, team, give them a shout out. Yeah. yeah. So, so Luke's yeah. got a, uh, got Luke's story.com. Uh, you can, uh, find my stuff at bengreenfieldfitness.com. I will, uh, I will be giving you guys a, a handy dandy link that you can use for, uh, for accessing the show notes to this podcast. I would imagine you might be doing that as well. You know what's sad? You know what's sad about or... that? When I listen to your podcast, in the middle, you'll be like, "Yeah," and you can find this on uh, Ben yeah. Greenfield slash Luke Story or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Ah, I never know what my link is yeah. until it comes out." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's really smart. I've always admired yeah, that. But but I, it's really, I will. As a I will. listener, it makes it really easy because on your iPhone, you can just be like, "Oh, I want mm-hmm. those show notes right now." Bing, you know. Yeah, I, I try and link to them in, in the uh, whatever app that you listen to a podcast on. There should be a clickable link to the show notes there. But yeah, man, it was cool sitting here and and getting to know the. Uh, the other side of you, the Likewise. side that goes beyond uh, subjecting your glass water bottles out in the kitchen to laser red lights <laughs> and jumping up and down the trampoline, getting the ice bath. Although I might actually go jump on your trampoline. And the jump ice in bath your, is nice. I've and got cold a right dinner now. after this, so I'll, yeah. I'll do trampoline and ice bath. Yeah. And, and you can go uh, do a, time time permits. I'll hit I'll hit a new calm session and you can do a hyperbaric and go hit the biocharger, do the whole thing. I'm man. tempted. I'm tempted. Yeah. Well, that was fun, man. Yeah, likewise. I'm glad we got yeah. to have a, a deeper conversation and uh, something I've been wanting to do with you for a while. I know you're, you know, I've watched your messaging kind of move more in this direction over the last couple of years. I think I saw you at Paleo FX maybe two years ago and mm-hmm. I've stumbled into part of your talk and you were like, you know, you guys, all this stuff's cool, but we really need to do the inner work. And I was like, right mm-hmm. on, Ben. Cool, yep. man. You know, so it's, yep. it's been fun to dive into this. I appreciate you stopping by. Awesome. Right, Thanks, brother. bro. Yep. I love you. Love you too, man. Thank you. Well, that brings another episode of the podcast to a close. I trust that you enjoyed this enlightening conversation with Ben Greenfield. Uh, I think those of you that are familiar with Ben and his work will have uh, found a different side of him in this conversation. And if that goal was accomplished, I am grateful. So uh, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. We've got Lifecycle, makes some fantastic medicinal mushroom products, very unique extraction method, growing method, extremely pure and potent. That's life cycle spelled L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Your discount code there is STORY15. That gets you 15% off. I would recommend the Biohackers box. These medicinal mushrooms are not for kids. You know, well, you could use them for kids. As a figure of speech, they're not playing around. Let me put it that way. They are not toys. And their Biohacker box has all of the different mushrooms, the cordyceps, lion's mane, Reishi, what's the other one? Uh, that, 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 that. I didn't take enough lion's mane today, obviously. Uh, cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, turkey tail. I think that's it. Yeah, but they're biohacker grade, meaning they're they're super strong. These are not like candy tasting mushrooms. These are these are real deal. I just put them under my tongue, but you can also put them in drinks and coffee and whatever you want to put them in and just blend them in. But they are liquid extract based in alcohol. Actually, they're a dual extraction, water and alcohol extraction. And they are fantastic at lifecycle.com. My friends over at Juve, I mean, broken record guy over here. I think every time I plug them, I'm like, and I use my Juve today. But legit, I use the Juve every day today. I woke up at 6.15 a.m., unprecedented early time for me. I just woke up. I had cortisol in my veins and was awake, even though I didn't want to be. I went and watched the sunrise. I got some red light. Then I took a uh, Troscription's blue canatine, which is actually activated and potentiated by sunlight and red light. Then I went and stood in front of the Juve. 
for about 10 minutes. Then I did a hyperbaric uh, oxygen session chamber, listening to my new calm, giving you a rundown of my morning routine here. Because why not? All the things I use are super cool and have helped me so much. I want to share them. Uh, after the chamber and the new calm meditation, I got back on the juice. So I actually did two today. And right now it is 12.49 p.m. Pacific at the time of this recording. So I got two juve sessions in today because I'm just a nut like that. And uh, to be honest, I'll probably do another one tonight. The red light therapy is a game changer, really powerful practice and one that is easy to integrate into your life because you just stand there. So you could read a book, you can stretch, you can stand on a vibe plate, which is what I do and listen to music, podcasts like this one, etc. If you want to check out the red light therapy go to juve.com slash luke that is spelled j-o-o-v-v.com slash luke crank up those hormones increase collagen production really good for your skin great for your mitochondrial energy atp production thousands and thousands of studies on red light therapy it works it's legit it's valid no funny business juve.com slash luke and then last up, we've got Sovereignty. These guys make some great uh, adaptogenic herb products. One's called Purpose. You take it in the morning. It's a nootropic blend with fermented Chinese herbs and CBD. It's not CBD. It's the other CB something. The other part of the cannabis plant. Not the one that gets you high. Not the THC. It's the other thing, which I'm sure I said in the plug that I did properly in the middle of the episode. Uh, then they've got one at night called Dream, appropriately enough. And uh, I got to say, it has helped my sleep scores on the nights that I take it. I like to experiment with sleep, take stuff, see if it works or not. And this one definitely helps with the REM sleep uh, so far. That's what I've been able to tell. They both actually taste really good too. And I'll be honest, it's hard to make a lot of the adaptogenic herbs taste good. Not that I'm mad at that. I mean, I'll have elixirs and herbal drinks that don't taste great. And as long as I'm getting the medicine in them, I don't really care. But these are actually kind of too tasty i find myself wanting to just make like a cold drink uh, kind of a fruity little flavor natural flavors of course no funny business no weird sweeteners super legit that's sovereignty and you can find that again at sovereignty.co slash luke sovereignty.co slash luke and just so you know all the products that i plug on the show which is necessary sorry about that but that's how we do it here I've not found a way to pay out of pocket to produce this show and make a living. So that's how we do it. I appreciate your support and understanding there. I know I'm not a fan of listening to commercials. Um, that's why I, I guess don't watch TV. I guess you can fast forward them if they have them. I don't even know. I know so little about TV. I don't even know if they have commercials anymore, to be honest. But I know when I'm on YouTube and you, you got to like wait for the skip button, that drives me nuts. But that's because it's a product that I don't care about. And I know the person that's putting up the video doesn't care about it either. And that's the difference between the plugs that I do. I actually like these brands, support these brands. They're all awesome people, great companies, and the products work. And for the record, because I find those YouTube pop-ups or those, um, I guess they're not pop-ups, but the pre-roll ads so annoying. I disabled those from all my YouTube videos. I'm like, I don't need the money. I just want people to watch the videos. So... If you don't want to hear my ads, you can always watch the videos and there won't be any ads, none like this and none of the pre-roll ads that you have to wait to skip through. So there you go with that. Uh, but you can find our sponsors, all of them, all the products that I use at lukestory.com slash store. So if all these links get confusing, you're like, wait, what, what, what? You can find them on your podcast player. There's always a hyperlink to each of the sponsors. So that's a shortcut for you. So you don't have to remember uh, but also know that everything I use in my life and uh, support 
and promote, you can find it at lukestory.com slash store. And over there, you're going to find discount codes uh, for most of the products. And you're going to be helping your old pal Luke get a small commission on most of those sales, which helps support the work that I'm doing. So it's a win for all three parties. The brand gets a new customer. You get turned on to something really cool that I've researched and vetted for you. And I make a couple bucks to keep the show on the road. You know what I'm saying? So it's a great business model. Super proud of it. Very transparent and awesome way to do things. Uh, Next week, speaking of awesome, uh, I alluded to it in the intro, but I'm just going to tell you what, if you never, ever listen to another Lifestylist podcast ever again, next week's number 308 with Janice Barcelo is the one you should listen to. It's called Ending Infant Trauma, Dangers of Hospital Birth, Ultrasound, Circumcision, and the Holistic Path. And in my view, the way we make babies is the way we make our future. It's really important. And frankly, industrialized hospital birth is a travesty. No offense to any doctors out there. It's not your fault. You were indoctrinated into a system that is abusive and broken, in my opinion, and in the opinion of our guest next week, Janice Barcelo. So I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss one. If you're planning on having a baby, please, for the love of God, listen to that show first. If you've already had one and you listen to the show and you feel guilty, don't worry about it. No shame, no blame. You didn't know. But after that episode, you will. And hopefully you'll take that information and apply it. Humans were having babies just fine, folks, before there were hospitals. Don't believe the hype. See you next week. Much love. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.